The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother, and treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Horus Heresy. Whether you're a warrior of the Legionis Astartes, an adept of the Mechanicum, or a mortal in a galaxy of madness, you'll find your place here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, broadcasting deep within the bowels of the Vengeful Spirit. Alright guys, so, um, welcome to this second episode of the Remembrancer's Retreat. Um, we're covering the brand new FAQ that Forge World dropped on us, and uh, then we'll get into Heresy Grad School, and then we'll do um, probably some, uh, I don't know, a little banter, go around the room, see who's uh, got anything to say, but um, why don't we see who's in the room right now? Uh, we've got uh, Jason. Jason, say hi. Guys, how's it going? Awesome. We've got uh, Austin. Hi, everybody. And we've got powerful Robbie. <laughs> awesome. And I'm Dave. Uh, we'll be uh, we'll be walking you guys through the um, second part of this FAQ update, as well as uh, giving you some some grad school on the Legio Cybernetica, which uh, Jason and I are just super psyched to talk about, man. There's some there's some deep lore coming your way, but um, I'm so excited just to listen to that. It's like I've got like a uh, bunch of Jared's mech that I bought just sit, sitting here, just staring at me right now. I got Vorax looking me in the eyes. I'm like, don't worry, my little precious metal bolt. I'm gonna get to you soon. Uh, yeah, let me tell you, Dave has uh, outdone himself with the uh, lore deep dive this go around. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm deep into it, that's for sure. I'm trying. But uh, yeah, man, the, the Legio Cybernetica, these guys are just, I mean, they are like the fucking, you know, robots with death rays that I, I mean, you can't help but love, man. This is what, I feel like when you play Mechanicum, this is what people think of, but they don't get it. And so, uh, and so we're definitely going to get it today. We're going to go in there and, and figure it out. But um, without further ado... Let's get into this uh, part two of the FAQ. Austin, you want to lead us off, man? You want to tell us where we are, what page we're on, and uh, what we're fucking talking about here? Uh, yeah, so we are on page 11, uh, which starts off with Horus Heresy, book seven, Inferno. Uh, and this, I think, is probably more Jason's wheelhouse at first, because it's talking about uh, a lot of Thousand Suns stuff. And uh, as a Space Wolf player, the only thing I can legally say about the Thousand Sons is that Prospero deserved it. <laughs> I, I heard Magnus did nothing wrong, though. Nobody uh, becomes a demon prince by doing nothing wrong. I'm just going to go on record and say I think both Lehmanus and Magnus are huge assholes. So there. You send us your thoughts. I mean, I, I got no response to that. You're you're not wrong, but you know. <laughs> oh man, one so, of them is more lovable than the other. I'll He's agree. got dogs. You can relate to him. Oh, uh, I don't know, but oh, big red one eye is kind of cool too. You know. So, all right, this should be really short and sweet. Uh, most of the stuff for the Thousand Sun is pretty. <laughs> housekeeping issues. Um, 
a couple of things people argue uh, you know, over the wording and whatnot. Uh, let's see, a couple of organizational things like Osirens are absolutely 100%, definitely no debate, an elite's choice now. Uh, disregard any references to the unit and other force organization slot. So guys, if you buy a Dreadnought, uh, a Contemptor, you upgrade him for those 50 points to make him a badass psychic Osiren, he stays an elite. You can have talons of Osirens, it's great. They're 50 points a model, a little pricey, but what price can you put on coolness like a Psychic Dreadnought? Uh, let's see, another thing that's been, um, that totally caught me off guard was I did not know people were debating over what the, uh, the Magic Castellax called, the Achaea. Uh, let's see, under the heading War Gear, amend the second bullet point to read two power fists, each with an inbuilt bolter with asphyx shells. So, this threw me because I never knew people were having an issue with this. I'm used to way, way back in like third edition, fourth edition, up maybe even into fifth and sixth, power claws and power fists were the exact same thing in the Warhammer 40,000 rulebook. They were even listed like in the equipment section as power fist slash power claw. So I don't think, I haven't checked the 7th edition book, but I know they are still uh, listed as the same thing in the 6th edition book. So, not a big deal, but yeah, uh, Castlax Achaea definitively have uh, Power Fists, which is great because they have a pair of them, gives them an extra attack, and their Strength 10, AP 2, which, I mean, they'd be AP 2 because they're monstrous creatures, but they're Strength 10 and they ignore the uh, unwieldy part because they're monstrous creatures. It's good stuff. And, um... Jason, do you think do you think because they're modeled differently, like they're modeled as if they have claws versus the the, the Castellax, like they have mostly have fists, uh, the little clampy hands? Yeah, right. Do you think that was throwing people off? Is do you think that's why they did it? A little bit, yeah. I can see how um, I can see how power claw and lightning claw would kind of get mixed up. But uh, for something like the Arlatax, uh, that's got like an Arlatax Lightning Claw, um, but they're definitively pretty different. Like they're their own little rule subset. But yeah, it just uh, it just threw me off because I've always been used to having uh, power fists and power claws, you know, the same thing. It's just yeah. What do regular Castlax have? They have fists, right? What's that? The regular Castlax. Oh, uh, they come stock with shock chargers, which are like, you know, the little uh, clampy hands with the little taser things on the back. And you can either upgrade them to power blades, which I guess that's where some of the confusion was coming from, too. Because a lightning claw, a power claw, and a power blade are all three different things. But, uh, yeah, you can upgrade them to either a power claw or a siege wrecker. Okay, I can see why people are confused, though, because, you know, I think that's some people's first time seeing power claw. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sometimes, like, I know Jason's been playing since, like, friggin' Rogue Trader, 3rd edition. I've been playing since, you know, about that long. 21 years. Yeah, God, it's... I know. Anyway, uh, where I was going with this is that sometimes I feel like the, the rules writers, you know, they're also guys that have been rolling dice since Rogue Trader, and sometimes they just get a little spaced and I'll put something in like this that, you know, yeah, it's very easy for somebody who's been doing it 
because we read it that way, you know, <laughs> 15 years ago. And, like, it doesn't even click that anybody would have a problem with it. And I'm sure that's exactly what happened. Like, whoever wrote these rules, you know, passed it to whatever rules supervisor they had. And that guy read it and was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the same thing in, uh, in the Army list, I'm pretty sure. But the Army list he's thinking about is friggin' like, third edition Space Marine Codex. Uh, and yeah, somebody yeah. that's only been playing for, like, you know, even five or six years might just be like, the hell is this? Mm, yeah. You really got to be careful of that addition bleed over. Oh, yeah, man. I get that. I still think glancing hits do different things sometimes. It's bad. Right. They had the whole separate table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. But uh, let's see here. Oh, um, Oh, Jason, I I just looked in in book seven. I'm sorry, man. Because book seven says that the Castellax Ikea battle automata come with two power claws. Yeah. Each with an inbuilt bolter shell. So I think there was no rule for power claws. I think in, in seventh ed, it caused a shred. Um, oh, no, no. See, I think the thing was that um, I know in at least the sixth edition 40K book, in under the war gear section, power claws and power fists were listed like synonymously. They're the same thing. And I think what the problem was is when um, they updated seventh edition and they dropped that and they're using, like, the Age of Darkness rules instead, Age of Darkness doesn't have a clarification for a power claw. They don't have the same uh, profile listing or as a power fist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. That was the whole thing you guys just talked about. Got it. No worries. No, it confused the hell out of me, too. So. But, uh, yeah, so also the other deal there is uh, amend any... Oh, right, because they kept uh, jumping back and forth calling things uh, Aether Flame Cannons or Aether Fire Cannons. Everyone knows they're the same thing. That's just, you know, kind of a housekeeping deal. I'd never use Aether Fire Cannon because it's just a plasma cannon with, uh, what is it, uh, Soul Blaze, as opposed to a Mauler Cannon with Shred. Come on, I'd never get rid of that business. That is... but, but don't you want to hand out Feel No Pains to survivors? <laughs> That's uh, it's not in the wheelhouse of uh, things I'd be looking forward to, no. Well, then, then Aether Flame is not for you, sir. Yeah, it is. I will admit, I'll have to give that one a pass. But uh, two big things that are not housekeeping, they're actually pretty legitimate. Uh, first off, for the Sekhmet Terminator Cabal, under the heading Special Rules, remove the asterisk and place, quote, a Sekhmet Terminator Cabal may... Oh, oh remove the phrase, a Sekhmet Terminator Cabal may use its powers from the telekinesis or pyromancy discipline. Because that was getting a lot of debate when they say, they're not saying roll for powers, does that mean I get to choose, as in like I can pick which ones I have? And I mean, I could see either way on that. Telekinesis or pyromancy is really not that big of a deal. And it would kind of make sense from a fluff perspective. They are like a cabal of Terminators, of like super psychic hive mind veterans that have been working together for decades. You know, I could see them picking their own spells to, or excuse me, uh, psychic powers to uh, manifest with impunity. But um, so that knocks that debate out and doesn't uh, force them for uh, into telekinesis or pyromancy. But then the one I really like is the one at the very top here. Uh, under the heading Cult Arcana, replace the third bullet point with the following. Uh, each Cult Arcana has an associated psychic discipline. 
units belonging to a particular cult arcana may only generate powers from their matching psychic discipline. This I really, really like because it sorts out that stupid problem of people taking the Raptora, a cult arcana, just to get that bonus to an invulnerable save, and then uh, taking another psychic power uh, list like uh, Biomancy or Divination just to get like the you know cool, fighty psychic powers. Because that's lame, and nobody should do that because, you know, it's, it's lame. But uh, this sorts that right out, perfectly fluffy, irons those creases out. But uh, yeah, I think that's all, uh, all the business there. Uh, Austin, you want to take over for the next page in Space Wolves? Yeah, Space Wolf stuff. Um, I love all of these. Like, there is a lot of uh, kind of bookkeeping stuff, you know, the bloodied claw, replaced instances of furious assault with furious charge. You know, somebody making a fourth edition problem. Uh, replace panic checks with morale checks because we're not playing fantasy seventh edition. Little things like that. Um, there's some that are really cool. I like Priest of Fenris. Uh, the initiative is increased to five, which is exciting because um, he was just swinging at speed. I mean, I give him a frost axe anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But on principle, I like it. Uh, for Lehman Russ, they have clarified that you always hit him on a six. There had been some arguments, the way it was worded previously, that you would need a seven to hit him if you stayed in combat with him long enough, which is dumb, but it's nice that they've like come down hard on whoever was making that argument. Um, but the ones I really like here... Uh, the first is a bookkeeping thing that, well, they're both kind of bookkeepy in that nothing changes the way the army plays once you get it on the table, but there are some changes and clarifications as to how you get it on the table. So the big thing with Space Wolves, right off the bat, is that you need to have a uh, Praetor or Centurion as your compulsory HQ, right? One of these guys has to lead in the army. And then they're the ones with the shot collar controller, right? You got to keep them dogs in line. Um, and then you must also include at least one HQ choice per thousand points or part thereof. So if you have a 2000 point army, you need two HQs. If you have a 3000 point army, you need three HQs. And there was some, I don't know if debates the right word because nobody tried to stop me from doing it. Um, but if you have, say, a 4,000-point game, what happens? Can Space Wolves play a 4,000-point game? Uh, they've come down on the fact that pretty much screw whatever it says for your maximum HQ requirements. Space Wolves can always, always have to take at least one per thousand. So you're playing a 4,000-point game. You have, and I quote, at least four HQ choices must be included and so on and so on, uh, exceeding the maximum of three HQ choices available. In all such cases where there is a limit to the number of HQ choices available, an additional HQ choice is made available that must be filled by a Space Wolves detachment per 1,000 points. So if you're going crazy in an APOC game and have 10,000 points of wolves and for some reason still want to adhere to the Force Org instead of just bringing whatever you want, Bring 10 HQs. 
I think that's cool. I think that's really fluffy. Uh, it's a holdover from the old Space Wolf codexes. Um, I haven't really played 8th edition or 7th, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I'm not sure where that re- where that like comes and goes. But it's a nice throwback to the 3rd uh, edition Space Wolf codex that got sitting around. Uh, the other change that, again, more of a clarification that I really like is... Uh, so a Space Wolf detachment must fulfill its compulsory tro- troops choices with Gray Slayer packs, which are our fancy tactical squads. Uh, everything else becomes a support squad. So the question was, like, this seems to limit you a lot when it comes to Rite of Wars, because a lot of Rite of Wars say, you know, hey, Assault Marines are, are uh, compulsory troops. You know, this and that is compulsory troops. If you can't take them as compulsory, it, it makes things tricky. Um, so for this, it adds in, note that when making use of a right of war, which stipulates that another unit can be taken as a compulsory troop choice, a space wolf detachment may instead take that unit to fulfill its compulsory troops choices in order to meet the requirements of that right of war. So the way I'm reading this is, your Grey Slayers can always, are always going to be compulsory troops, but you can now take a right of war that requires other things. So, you know, uh, nothing's coming to mind. Armor Man. Breakthrough. Or, so armor, yeah, armor, well, Armor Breakthrough may still screw you, because I don't know how the HQ choices work there. Um, but uh, what's the Dreadnought one? Fury of the Ancients. Yeah, you can now do Fury of the Ancients if uh, you want to be a little unfluffy and have Space Wolf with a billion Dreadnoughts. Because um, you can take the Dreadnoughts as troops and you don't have to worry about taking a pack of Grey Slayers for each one you bring. Um, so it really just opens it up. It doesn't change a whole lot about how the army plays. Um, just little things that you know didn't make sense or like you'd think would be that way. They're now all that way. It now all makes sense. I, it just makes me so happy. So very, very happy. Um, yeah, I think that about covers it. I don't think I missed well, I think they did forget to uh, delete Death Sworn from the roster. I know they forgot to do that, though. Yes, Death Sworn are completely unchanged, and I still say, hands down, the best assault unit in 30k. You can fight me on that later, but uh, you stick him with a priest, and I have yet to lose combat. Like I, I have actually yet to lose a game of 30k uh, if more than five deaths form make it into combat. Yeah, and yet when I go to events, like I went to Nova last year, uh, and the Space Wolf guy, and he he was new, he was new. I think it was like his first, his like his second, third, and fourth game. We're all at Nova, which was amazing. And man, if you're out there, like that was awesome. I had a blast playing you. Um, but like he had no Death Sworn. Uh, there's a couple other events I've been to with Space Wolf players that show up, and like they got Varinger Terminators. They got cool, fluffy lists, and no Death Sworn. I don't know if I'm just like whack about bringing them, but I love I love the thought of them, and I really like my conversions for them. So I bring them all the time. They're great. Yeah, that uh, that does it for the space wolfy part of this faq all right thanks austin that was that was an awesome rundown and thanks jason for the uh, thousand suns um i think we're almost 
wrapped up with uh, FAQ part two, guys. We just want to cover, there's three entries left here. Does anybody want to talk about the Sisters of Silence uh, uh, Acquisitor? I don't think that changes very much, right? Just can't carry the bulky, very bulky, or extremely bulky, which I guess could be a big deal if you're trying to put a um, a custody in there or a custode in there with the uh, with the sisters, right? Yeah, like, get out of my assault transport. <laughs> hey. That's yeah. kind of what the big mitigating factors for custodies and why they aren't that scary as assaulters. Because uh, now they've lost, uh, yeah, the ability to stick a independent character in there with a sister squad and get an assault transport. Uh, they still have no good access to assault transports, which, as an assault army, makes them much less scary. Right. I think the only access they have is that Lord of War uh, flyer, right? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, if you're bringing that thing anyway, the game's going to be shaped around it, so yeah. it's kind of a moot point by then. Yeah, how many points is that thing? Are you are you playing at three thousand? Are you playing above? I would have to look it up. I would definitely definitely more than six hundred. Um, I got it right here. Give me a second. A second. Yeah, I got my book open, ready to friggin' quote things and everything. I got my new gaming den, and it's just all all coming up. Me, I say, not being able to find it. I don't think it's in the book, Austin. I think it was a lot of crap, and it's not here. No, I think it, I think it came out afterwards. I think it was uh, an add-on, but we'll we'll figure it out. I think it is over six hundred and something points, though. So I think you're playing at at least three thousand points, um, which I think Jason's right. I think at that point you're shaping the game around it. Um, so okay, so the next one is the Securitai um, Axiarch. Jason, any anything here? It's an independent character. Oh, yeah. So, first off, the uh, Orion Assault Dropship is 605 points. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, we definitely want to uh, chat a little bit on those uh, two changes to the uh, Secutari list. Uh, two big things. First off, the Axiarch, uh, much like the Majos Dominus when he started out, it's just a character, not an independent character. So he couldn't join stuff. They sorted the Dominus out a long time ago. Now they're sorting the Axiarch out. Uh, and this is terrific because Axiarch is a terrific little budget support character. Uh, I personally use mine. I've got him modeled out of a uh, rough stalker. But uh, I use him for the preferred enemy infantry for my uh, little uh, Secutari hoplites. And he's terrific for that because now he's an independent character and you can stick him in a something like a Triaros with your Magi and a pack of Thalax is how I use mine. But Ooh, uh, nice. I think more or less everybody had just assumed, it was one of those things you just kind of assumed, like, yeah, he's probably supposed to be an independent character. And most everybody I knew was just going along with it anyway. Oh, uh, the other big thing we want to talk about is the Volterax. Uh, I know mine is a little infamous, but um, so the thing here, watching the evolution of the Volterax and its flare shield is a little funny. Uh, way when it came, back when, when it came out with experimental rules, it had the flare shield, 
and everybody debated over what it did. Like, uh, it's a monster creature. It doesn't have a facing. Flare shield rules specifically say attacks against the front facing. And since it's not a vehicle, it has no facing. So I think uh, Forge World heard that and was like, fine, you know what? Now the flare shield, 360 degrees. Have fun with that, guys. And <laughs> that's how he was in Book 7 for Inferno. Uh, he did lose a point of toughness, which I think was a nice mitigating factor. Uh, he went from Toughness 7 being a flying Castellax down to Toughness 6. And uh, now he is updated. Uh, I guess they got tired of hearing the Flare Shield debates. And he just has a adamantic, um, adamantic shielding, just like a Castellax, just like a Contemptor Dreadnought. So he is a 5-up invulnerable against shooting and a 6-up invulnerable in close combat which irons out a lot of those issues and makes him fall right in line with all the other automata. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good ruling and I think we'll see more of them on the battlefield and I think people Oh god, no. To, uh, no, we don't need No, I think more. people have to self-regulate a little bit less, right? I think yeah. cuz Jason, you only ever ran one, right? I mean, I do have uh I do have a second one and I just never used it. Yeah. Would you ever bring Three in a Zomorph Palace game. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, that doesn't seem like it'd be a lot of fun for me or the person across. Well, I seen it. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't play it, but I mean, I seen it, and uh, but, yeah, what did you I, do? Uh, they they could have FAQ'd this to be like toughest two, strength two, weapon skill BS zero. Uh, and I would still hate them with the fiery, all-consuming passion of a million suns, uh, because Jason's Bumblebot just makes my poor militia have such a bad time. Although it does, it is terrible in close combat. There is that. I mean, it's, it's really terrible at killing shit. It's it's extremely hard to kill, though. Uh, my militia have now won close combat against it, and not my line infantry, right? Like the heavy support squads have uh, won combat against it three times, I think, now. That sounds combats, right. combats have lasted, like, multiple rounds where he's just flailing away, missing with his two attacks, trying to be a hero. He's not great. But he just, like, swats him with the butt end of a Lazcan, and then he falls over eventually. He does that. Kind of a sad story. But uh, the terror that he puts out on the actual regular infantry more than makes up for it. I can't disagree. But um, I know we wanted to touch on the talons of the Emperor, but uh, let's see, we don't want to run too long, but I think I can sum up um, all the important points pretty quickly, besides the whole deal with the Inquisitor not being able to carry uh, bulky models. So I think Several big things that everybody's interested in that aren't just bookkeeping. Uh, first off, Valdor no longer hands out free teleporters to everybody. Uh, his profile is, as far as I can tell, otherwise unchanged. Uh, he's the same points cost. He still has the crazy Apollonian spear. That didn't go anywhere, but at least he doesn't give free teleporters to everyone. And that whole debate on what counts as a custodies model is kind of null and void now. Uh, second big part, for the uh, Shield Praetor, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Tribune, uh, he can no longer take a Cyber Familiar, which is nice, uh, both from the 
point, he can't gain that bonus to his invulnerable save. And uh, he can no longer pair that with a shield and get a crazy invulnerable. Uh, I think they're limited to a 3-plus invulnerable regardless. But uh, that makes a lot of sense from a fluff standpoint, too, because cyber familiars are definitely uh, something the Mechanicum are really heavy into. And since the beginning of the Treaty of Mars, even though they're technically allied, the uh, higher-ups of the uh, Emperor's Lackeys and the Mechanicum have not gotten along well. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense for a custodian to have any uh, high-dollar Mechanicum technology like that. Uh, Going along in that same deal, uh, the Turtle Tribune, everybody knows and hated, with the, um, let's see, got the Cyber Familiar and the uh, stupid Aegis Shield. Uh, The Aegis Shields are streamlined a little bit. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, the Presadium Shield. Uh, streamlined a little bit. Uh, they still give the negative to hit, but uh, they just add to your invulnerable by one now instead of re-rolling invulnerables. So your uh, sentinels out and about, uh, your basic footline infantry with the uh, rending blades and the shields have a four-up invulnerable, which is nice. And your uh, shield tribunes can no longer have crazy re-rolled three-plus invulnerables that everybody hated, and every custodian player came up with a uh, came up with some justification for using it. But uh, now none of that is uh, anything we have to worry about anymore. It's good stuff. Uh, yeah, I wasn't salty about it, uh, but I did I did play against it, and re-rolling a three up is ridiculous. Like it's a it's a big counter. It's like, dude, one squad should not be able to tank six. Demo cannons. It just should not happen. All right. If that happens, there's something. There's obviously something wrong with the game. Well, combining that with, um, I think combining that with the Eternal Warrior is where the really big problem came in. Because like a uh, Mechanica Magos is super tanky, but uh, it's not a huge problem to slip like a single Paragon blade past him. I mean, you've got a one in three chance of failing that one instant death, and Majos just falls over. But couldn't have that with the three plus re rollable Eternal Warrior Tribune, because he would finally fail, and then he's got four other wounds you've got to get through. Yeah, I I definitely like where they're going with Custodes, because I think we've mentioned this maybe on the last podcast that Custodes players fall into two camps. The crazy, like, fluff masters who were, like, converting Custodes models for 20 years and finally got to play their army. And, like, the whack players tended to drift that way because you can do ridiculous three-up re-rolling and all of that. Um, So hopefully it'll make those fluff bunnies feel a little better about uh, the army that they love. But this is down a little bit. And I've heard, like, I've talked to a couple of uh, Custodes players that are pretty happy, even though this has undoubtedly dropped, like, the power level of what you can do with the Custodes. They all seem to be pretty happy about the changes, uh, except for, you know, the one guy that built his list around Valdor, uh, handing out free teleport homers to everybody. Because now it's, like, 70 or 80 points to, you know, to spread across. But you can't please everybody. 
You want to hear someone's defense of all the good rules? Oh, absolutely. When do the custodians lose in fluff? They're not supposed to lose on the table. Uh, obviously, they've never read uh, Hands of the Emperor, which is a terrific short story where the Imperial Fists make them look like a bunch of jackasses. It's pretty amazing. I'll also point out that if they happen to have won the war in the webway, you wouldn't need the Big E and a couple of warhounds keeping the door shut. Saying, yeah, I think this. Job. I think this is good. I, I think we. I think a lot of people were expecting to see the custodes go up in points um, versus getting a little dialed down in terms of power. Um, but however, you know, however Forge World wants to handle it, and I'm I'm sure this is probably not the last that we've seen um, because we know that that eventually we're going to get a a new red book um, for the Talons and we're probably going to get a new red book for the legions as well. But, uh, I think this is, this is a very light, uh, kind of dialing down on, uh, on the talents, right? They could have done a lot more and they didn't increase points. Um, they took Valdor's teleport, you know, Homer away, but in, in reality, does this really, this doesn't even address like Telamon, right? This doesn't even address some of the other really OP things that I think if you were a whack player, you could do with a, with a Talon's army or a Custode's army. So um, really, I think this is, this is bookkeeping more than uh, anything else. And I think in, in the future, we'll probably see the points go up versus the um, power level go down. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I'm I'm actually the other way on it. I, I think this might be, I mean, there may be some tweaks further on, but I think this might kind of be their definitive answer to it, um, at least Custodes as we've seen them play, because they got rid or modified uh, the stats of the things everybody always brought and are no fun to play against. Like, even if you're, like, I've seen, you know, guys that, I know we're not whack in the slightest. Then they bring a shield captain because he's a shield captain and they just friggin' love the concept, right? And then they, they're like apologizing to you as they continue to make their three up re-rollable invulsives. Um, or like Valdor, same thing. Like somebody will bring Valdor to a game and, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I'm bringing Valdor. Is that cool? Yeah, it's cool. And then he does Valdor things, and you're like, man, I'm sorry. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it cuts down on the things that nobody really liked to play against and made them a little bit more bearable for the other side. Uh, so hopefully this will be, like, pretty much the end of it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it was their first real shot at bringing kind of an elite over and above Space Marine Army to, to Heresy, rather than Solar Oxys and Militia, who are definitely a step down. Uh, and I think that's a little easier to gauge. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be continued, right? So Nova's coming up in uh, almost a month, a uh, month and a week. And, uh, you know, Custodes uh, definitely, you know, did well at uh, the LVO and Adepticon. So we'll see. Um, We'll see if anybody shows up at Nova with uh, 
with custodes and uh, under the new rules, we'll see, we'll see what happens. So um, to be continued, but no, thanks guys. Thank you, Austin and Jason and Robbie for uh, weighing in on our FAQ part two. Um, if anybody else wants to say anything, I think, uh, you know, now's the, now's your chance. If not, we'll, uh, take a quick break and go into, uh, grad school. I, I do have two more quick things from the, uh, the like army list, like the Q and a sort of thing. Oh, yeah. First, misericordia, the, uh, the little daggers that, uh, custodes have those do nothing, have no use and can be ignored as a as a piece of war gear, which I think is kind of funny. Like there was obviously some sort of play testing that didn't go well and they just said to hell with it. Um, and then they reiter reiterated that if something is in quote standard Terminator armor, um, it's whatever your Terminators happen to be wearing, which is cool. Which is cool because now the argument about you know the Imperial Fist using uh, their storm shields on Tartaros is no longer an argument because it said cataphracty or standard, and everyone's like, "Oh, no, Tartaros can use it." And now that's cleared up. Yep, yep, yep. Right on. So, so there is there uh, is no standard Terminator armor. Well, standard is what it's modeled with, so it could be right. yes. Dominant, Standards. It could be, it could be standard. Seems to be any. Yeah, standard seems to be anything that's not like a character's special armor that happens to have a two-up. Okay. Cool. Uh, so, I just want to... Has anybody played games since the fact came out? No. No. Negatory. I did. And guess what I used? Valdor. No, no. Guess what <laughs> I ran, guess what I, I ran my veterans as? Oh, no shit. I ran them as stalkers. Yeah, man. They did amazing. Good. Not how'd that scout move go? Uh, I mean, it was it was all right. I I I did scout, and it was actually pivotal in like the I was playing bow, and we played uh, we were playing Shadow War, and we he rolled suicide mission, and he was the attacker. So uh, it was it was uh it was very great because I was able to scout and pretty much create a choke point. And uh, I, I intercepted one of his assaults and the mission was like, it sounded great on paper for him. Cause it, it was, it gives victory points for uh, winning challenges. And that's what uh, Emperor's children are all about. They got a challenge, right? But he just, he whiffed and my, my Sergeant with close combat weapons was able to take him out, uh, which was pretty, pretty funny that the Phoenix spear was unable to find its mark. Um, and then from there was able to like, hit up some uh types of plasma supports and it, was, it allowed to my fire drinks to get into a good position to pretty much hold the field which those were the real mvp but no stalker i mean you, you lose out marksman um but a lot of people still brought marksman just because you got the outflank uh but now you're getting scouts so you can still outflank or do your scout move which is still pretty cool and pretty useful uh without having to say this is an auto include Wait, so you still get outflank, you just don't get sniper. Correct. You lose out on sniper, uh, but scout, okay. but you, scout already confers. Like, you get, like, the whole, you can either use a scout move or infiltrate. I mean, not infiltrate, you get to uh, outflank. Okay. 
Oh, so it doesn't really change that much. It just takes Sniper away. Yeah, it takes away the wounding on four ups, regardless of toughness, and okay. uh, their little precision shot, and yeah, all that shenanigans. Hey, do you do you have to be on foot to scout? I don't know. If you're in a transport, your transport can scout. Like if you're, oh in yeah, a, you you get twelve inch scout, I think. No shit. So if you're if your veterans are in a um, a transport, they can also outflank. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm pretty sure dedicated transport, definitely. Yeah, right on. Yeah, so it really didn't change that much. Actually, the the whole uh, the whole being able to scout is kind of a bonus, man. Oh yeah, I think it's great because uh, now people are going to bring uh, the machine killer and monster hunters a little more. It kind of because really, yeah. you know, you were bringing marksmen to kill. Uh, monstrous creatures because you wound on the four up, but now it's like there's a whole other whole other veteran tactic that people don't even use because they think you know shooting Castellax is better than assaulting them, and which I kind of agree. But uh, if you yeah. you want to do that, give them the fluffy choice. Right on, cool. All right, guys. Um, Robbie, anything else? Any other play tests you've got you've done uh, in the last couple weeks? Um, I played uh, someone who brought a champion with a Paragon Blade, and it did very well. Very well. Um, nice. Yeah, w- you just point it at units that don't have like dedicated uh, close combat killers, and then it's able to just that AP2, no matter who you're going against, at the initiative, definitely weakens the squad up pretty well. And especially, like, he just had him with tacticals, and he was able to go in there get a good good amount of wounds and then the rest of the squad was able to like pretty much clear the remnants and then the modifier was so bad they usually failed their leadership and then they were able to get to us the sweep so it was pretty cool i like it and i am now going to make a champion sweet yeah i, I like got it. one on one of those on the uh assembly line as well it just seems fantastic man i've always liked them and uh whenever i play that 5000 point game with my wolves bring in two extras <laughs> because you have to. Good God! Can you make a squad <laughs> of just them? I don't. Can you attach just independent characters to independent characters? Is that possible? Mm, I mean, I believe the answer is yes. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, because yeah. if you if your squad like if you've got you know a pack of tacticals with like a chaplain and a praetor in there, and all the tacticals die. They're still a squad. They count yeah. as a unit, right? An yeah. independent character counts as a unit, so you can yeah. attach. You can join them. Yeah. So yeah, uh, three pra- or uh, three champions, a praetor, and a chaplain, and they're gonna run around a little squad <laughs> oh, and uh, come at me. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, guys, um, thank you very much. We're gonna wrap up the first part of this. Uh, remembrancers retreat and we'll be back in a little bit with the uh legio cybernetica grad school and uh see you soon
Okay. Hey guys, uh, welcome back. This is Dave and I'm here with Jason and we're going to talk about uh, the Legio Cybernetica. This is the continuation of our deep dive into the Bellicosa Potentis Omnissiah, um, the Mechanicum in the 31st millennia. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to my professor and partner in crime, Jason. Take it away. Guys, how's it going? So Dave and I have been talking uh, over which way we wanted to take this uh, next episode here, and we thought it'd be a good idea. We've gone through the whole uh, triad magna, the mechanic of military between Scatari, the uh, Collegia Titanica, and the Tagmata Omnisaya. So that's like the main principal military force of the Mechanicum. And everything outside of that is more or less its own little separate department. Uh, again, we've been referencing the uh, chart Dave just mentioned for quite some time now. And there are almost two dozen independent departments on there. We're going to touch on some of the more important and influential ones. So tonight we're talking Legio Cybernetica. Uh, you want big stompy robots? The Legio Cybernetica have. And in quite some numbers. So from the top, the Legio Cybernetica is the department militaris of the Mechanicum that is all about combat automata. Uh, there are automata uh, throughout the length and breadth of the Mechanicum uh, in pretty much every facet you can think of, but the Legio Cybernetica is where the combat automata are. Your Castellacs, um, Castellans, uh, Thanatar, everything down to like tiny personal attack robots. Now, the deal here, uh, they're a little bit different than something like a Thrall, which would be a Thalak. Uh, it's technically a cyborg because there is a human spinal column and brain. In uh, Automata, on the other hand, is completely synthetic. Even down to the brain uh, is actually made up of synthetic proteins. Uh, it's more or less a perfect machine copy of a simple brain. And the Legio Cybernetica is all about the combat firmware and wetware of building automata. Now, uh, Cybernetica, the way it's organized, uh, again, it's its own separate little department, completely um, independent of the triad magna we were talking about. But um, much like a space marine chapter in 40k, uh, they are organized into their own little uh, cohorts. So a cohort is made up of uh, 30 to 100 maniples of automata. Each maniple uh, is between one and five automata. And they're kind of organized. The reason they give that is almost the same uh, that Gulliman uses to break up the legions in chapters, that they don't want the power of too many individual automata under the purview of a single majos. So they are divided into cohorts. The cohorts report to their Archmagi. The Archmagi reports to the Synod of the Forge World, just like any other department. Uh, so each of them are 
the cohorts are governed by what's known as the Majos Dominus. Uh, Domini are specifically the Majos uh, tied to Legio Cybernetica. They're also the only practicers of what is called Cybertherapy. Is uh, in game, they're performed almost like old school psychic powers, uh, taken off a leadership check instead of all the uh, fun power die, Thousand Suns players. But um, it's a way of working with their machines in, uh, in that same way that technology sufficiently advanced should be almost undiscernible from magic, uh, working with them so eloquently to bring these automata to greater heights of operational service. So, um, each of these cohorts are assigned in the exact same way, like a Myrmidon cult, a uh, detachment of Secretary, a, a Titan maniple would be assigned uh, on a project-by-project -project basis as determined by the Archimedes of their forge. Now, uh, these automata are in the Legio of Cybernetica are governed by what's known as Crimson Accords. The Crimson Accords is pretty much the founding tenant of the Legio Cybernetica. And I have seen this a couple of times. It's not the Treaty of Mars, uh, as it's known on Terra, or the Treaty of Olympus, which we talked about over the last couple of episodes, the alliance between the Mechanicum and Terra. Uh, the Crimson Accords actually came about far, um, far in advance of the Treaty of Olympus. Uh, the Crimson Accords is the original uh, proscription of the creation of what's known as the Silica Animus, uh, or uh, Artificially Sentient Animus. Uh, there have been touches in the lore to the Men of Iron, which may or may not, uh, nobody's really sure, have plunged the entire galaxy into old night. It was definitely a factor. But um, the Crimson Accords is what started after the Mechanicum started to pull themselves out of the Age of Strife, one of the governing pieces of legislature they laid down to make sure, in theory, that this would never happen again. So, uh, one of the things <laughs> that they quote that I think is kind of interesting, uh, by a Majos named Keshi Lud, uh, they shall not suffer a machine to think, for ruin shall be its purpose, and accursed be the work. In the Crimson Accords, absolute forbiddance of thinking machine. It also uh, required the destruction of any that are still existing. Now, this is kind of a big deal because later into the heresy, uh, this is kind of where the renegades were bought over to Horus's side. Uh, told them that he would wipe out the prescriptions of the Crimson Accords, they would no longer be bound by them, and that was just one of the things that were previously prescribed by the Emperor and the Treaty of Olympus, that uh, the Canicum that came over to Horus's side would now be free to work with. Um, it's one of the things that was really important in that entire new endeavor. And What's interesting is one of the biggest sources uh, Dave and I both pulled from is, uh, in addition to the Black Books, is the uh, Cybernetica novella is uh, pretty interesting. It revolves around a Ravenguard 
uh, Forged Lord, who was grievously wounded in the opening uh, prologue, gets uh, sent to Mars after he has been augmented, paired, and to start a tech priest apprenticeship program and come back in as a tech marine uh, to the 19th Legion. But it's very interesting in the start. I've never seen any of this information touched on before. Um, the Raven Guard is witnessing the trial of an accused heretic, which is what uh, the Mechanicum decrees instead of heretic, heretic. Because, you know, Forge World loves puns. They're pretty old school, and I appreciate that. But um, they're, uh, he's observing the trial of an accused heretic known as Octal Bull. Octal Bull has come up with or discovered a sentient animus. And this animus uh, comes back into play. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But uh, during his trial, he makes the point, uh, the accused octal bull, that AI have judged themselves superior to man. They're cold and calculating, reasoning to a degree that would crush mortal men from the inside. Uh, they're beyond temptation and the delusions of pure thought, truly pure because they have rejected the weakness of flesh. The weakness of flesh from which one day Mars will be purged. Uh, he goes on to say, beyond the reach of our logisters and calculus engines, for they never factor themselves equation, the weakness of their own flesh. And what is very interesting there, they also, in that same scene, touch on uh, something I'd never heard of before, uh, a sect of the cult in uh, previous, during Old Night, called the Singulantarianists. Uh, they were a tiny fringe faction that believed in the creation of a greater-than-human intelligence. And their thought patterns were any machine built by man could never be perfect in that same way that every um, Majos is trying to become one with the Omnissiah by becoming perfect. Uh, their idea was that that could never happen with a machine built by man because... Man, even if Martian man uh, is still flesh, then any machine built by them could all, would always be flawed. The only way to create that perfect machine is by creating a sentient machine that could reproduce and build itself. So eventually there would be a second generation of sentient machines that had never known the touch of a mortal. And this is one of the things back from the legend of the men of iron that was getting into uh, galaxy-wide annihilation, that not only was it an AI, but it was an AI that could replicate itself, which, uh, I mean, is straight out of, you know, something Skynet terminate. And uh, Octobool made a very good point, is that sentient machines always seem to turn on their creators. Uh, he asks, what is the need of an artificial intelligence to attempt to end the human race? And uh, he proposes that sentient machines know the only salvation for the galaxy at large is the annihilation of man. And it is on this note of deep, deep dive that I will turn it over to my co-host Dave here because he has put an astounding amount of uh, time and research into this lore. Dave, if you'd take it away. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. Thank you very much for that amazing intro. and. Uh, 
and treatment of the Legio Cybernetica. What Jason was talking about, guys, with the um, the heretic Octo Bull, and if you have not read uh, Cybernetica, I highly recommend you do because it does give you so much background on uh, on what we're talking about. And I think we touched on it before, but if you missed it in a previous episode of Grad School, um, the uh, the I don't know what you call it, but the Ordo that is uh, tasked with hunting down heretics like Octobull is under the Prefecture Magisterium. Um, they are on the Bellicosa Potentis Omnissia Task Org on page 12 of the Red Book and somewhere in the Black Books. But um, they are the, 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 the Mechanicum's doctrinal answer to basically preventing the continued development of artificial or abominable intelligence as um you know as the mechanicum would refer to it ai so they hunt down the techno uh heretics who uh, who try to develop this and it's interesting because the legio cybernetica uh, if you if you go back far enough in the lore, it looks like they come from uh, the earliest attempts of humanity to develop a sort of a, a self awareness, right? Like an artificial intelligence, which which probably led to the Men of Iron, which probably led to, um, it, you know, at least galactic civil war. Um, if not the total collapse of, of, you know, the, the golden age of, of humanity. But, um, you know, we can speculate on that, uh, you know, all night, but, but certainly, uh, Mars has always been associated with the development of, um, robotic intelligence, robotic automata. And so that's where we are. What I'd like to sort of do right now, since Jason kind of gave you guys a really nice overview of Legio Cybernetica, is look at how the Black Books have have treated um, Legio Cybernetica, as you know, as well as um, some of the uh, the chassis uh, that are in there. So much like we did with the Titan Legions, we're going to go book by book uh, through the Black Books and and look at the um, the treatment that uh, Forge World and the Black Books have given uh, Legio Cybernetica, and it's pretty awesome. So um, in book two, we don't get anything in book one. Book one is new, right? So we're, we're exploring the heresy. But in book two, what we get is um, a look at the, uh, the Thalax, right? So it's it's not cybernetica per se because as Jason explained and this is a huge point um, the order reductor and uh, the thalax chassis will use organic components so a, a brain and a brain stem um, to you know augment a lorica thalax you know so an armored chassis but a but a castellax or a castellon Part of Legio Cybernetica is a truly autonomous robot. So you could probably go so far as to say we don't get anything in book two either. 
But in book three, we really start to see Forge World give the Legio Cybernetica and the Castellax chassis beautiful treatment. So on page 212 and 213, but we'll focus on 212, we get the Legio Raphonicus Castellax class battle automata Omega Pi 7 Cybernetica detachment Paramar 5. So, as Jason said, uh, cybernetica detachments are usually between 30 and 100. Uh, Omega Pi 7 was one of about 100 battle automata seated by the Legio Cybernetica to fight in the ranks of the Legio Griffonicus in return for reciprocal aid furthering their own interests. So what's fascinating about this little text, right, and you can read down, but the Legio Cybernetica is trading battle automata, i.e. the Castellax chassis, to a Titan Legion for kind of a quid pro quo, right? So I'm going to give you some Castellax battle automata for maybe some help down the road which would lend us to think that the Legio Cybernetica is sort of, I would say, on equal footing with, with the Titan Legion, right? Like Legio Graphonicus. Um, so they're, they're exchanging favors, quid pro quo, um, sort of outside the normal, probably, rank structure of the Imperium, I would say. Certainly during the Great Crusade, things were loose, but... Uh, this does sort of seem like a, uh, you know, a very, uh, a, a very interesting relationship between Legio Cybernetica and a Titan Legion. So that's pretty cool. We get that in book three. Um, book four, uh, we don't get a lot. Book four is sort of a, you know, an itself. I would say if you own one Horus Heresy book, you should probably own book four just because of all the additional content you get with it. But on page 77, uh, we do get some cool treatment, which is the Castellax Battle Atomina uh, Cyclothrathene Tagmata. And so what this is, is this is the Battle Atomata that was deployed uh, as part of Archmajos uh, Dracovac's assault on Numenor. So just as, as, as Jason was saying, you know, a Cybernetica um, Archmagos or a Magos Dominus is going to be in charge of uh, a Cybernetica host or Tagmata. And, um, you know, we won't give it away, but uh, there's some beautiful uh, decoding of iconography and, the, the, you know, if you want to get into how Castellax are identified in terms of on the field of battle, I uh, highly recommend you look at, at page 77. It can give you some good tips. Um, so we'll go to book five now. And book five is fascinating. Uh, it doesn't treat Legio Cybernetica at all, but it does give you some insight into Ordo Reductor and the Thalax. And it also gives you some insight into the overall organization of a Tagmata. So on page 222, you see uh, Tagmata Usklan Thalax, which is Vang 145 Hexar Guess, part of the Myrmidex Mendicat Tagma. 
um, which was attached to Thracian Highlands at Calf. You can read through the text here, it won't take a lot of time, but what you can do is you can see that this was a handshake agreement between two uh, Magos primes um, on the exchange or the loan of Battle Automata. Right, I know Thalex are not Cybernetica. I know that Castellax don't have cerebral implants, right? So they're two totally different chassis, two totally different types of Battle Automata. But it does give you an idea that the Magos Prime of the Mechanicum, at least in the 31st millennia, are sort of operating independently, right? So they're exchanging Battle Automata um, maybe quid pro quo, who knows, you know, for their own interests, but certainly outside the normal, um, you know, task hierarchy of the Imperium, which I think is fascinating and, and definitely uh, worth a read there. Book six, not really going to get into, um, page 75 does talk about a, uh, an unidentified Castellax that goes off the rails, um, sort of off the reservations on Xana 2. <clears throat> if you've read uh, Aaron Dembski Bowden's Betrayer, um, you will probably love this because it it definitely reminds me of the uh, of the Castellax that's in Betrayer. Right, he sort of develops a personality and. Um, <clears throat> despite the Archmagos' or the Tech Adept's best attempts to sort of wipe his memory, he keeps coming back as belligerent. Uh, so if you like that subplot, you will love uh, the little uh, treatment on page 75 uh, of book six. Now, book seven, um, we're almost done here. Book seven is amazing. So I know there's a lot of book seven hate out there, but uh, I'll tell you, for for pure lore and and uh, you know the love that Forge World gives the the overall heresy background, you, Book Seven is amazing, guys. So Book Seven um, on one seventy six and one seventy seven, you get two different treatments. You get a Castellax class Battle Automata full plate, um, the Cybernetica Defense Detachment subsurface counter-assault force for the Battle of Prospero. So just like Jason was saying, um, a Castellax battle detachment is between 30 and 100. We see that again uh, reiterated here. Uh, one of perhaps 30 such battle automata kept in storage in deep subsurface vaults below the Zhao Arcad subfane on Prospero. ML3 is pictured here clad in the standard livery of the Tagmata forces that were attached frequently to the Thousand Suns Legion in the later part of the Great Crusade, carries the icon of the Legion in addition to its own machine cant designations on its outer carpus. So, I mean, this is perfect in a number of different ways, right? So you can see uh, from the iconography here that we've got uh, machine cant or you know uh, techno linguists, whatever you guys think is the way to treat this. Um, but beautiful iconography here, and then attached to the thousand suns. That's and that's a standard Castellax battle uh, automata there. 
And on page 177, book seven comes through in so many different ways, but it's the first full color treatment of a Damatar class battle automata. All right, so we've never seen this before. We've never seen a full color plate of a Damatar class battle automata. And this is amazing in so many different ways. Um, so this is part of the Tagmata Chiari. It's attached to the 227th Expeditionary Fleet Mechanicum Battle Group. And guys, this is, this is huge. So the, we, Jason and I talked about Zhao Arkad and the Chiari, I think in probably the first or second uh, heresy grad school that we did, and maybe the third. But, um, but these guys were the forge fane on Zhao Arkad that didn't go along with the flow. Uh, they did not align themselves with the Thousand Suns on Prospero. And as a result, they sort of went, um, they sort of went mercenary. So during the Great Crusade, they, they lent their significant strength in battle automata to not the highest bidder, but it was, it was, a, it, again, it was a quid pro quo, right? So they exchanged their forces um, for either material strength or, um, you know, support or, uh, you know, you know, battle barges, spaceships, whatever, so that they could gain independence. Um, and it, it goes on to say that the Tagmata Chiari um, were operating with the Raven Guard at Priam, uh, which is, I don't know where Priam is, but it's far to the galactic north, uh, when Prospero burned. And they had no idea that Prospero had been censured, uh, nor had they been, you know, placed on uh, whatever uh, execution and, until two years after the Horus Harris uh, started. And and so this is this guy's this is amazing, and it gives you so much narrative arc. It gives you so much leeway to use um, your Mechanicum army in different ways on the battlefield. You know, in in a narrative arc, etc. So, I think we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for hanging out. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. Uh, I want to see if anybody's still online, and then I'll just give you guys a quick uh, a quick shout out. So, uh, thanks again, and we will uh, see you in a second. Okay. All right, guys. Hey, we're back with uh, the final segment here on uh, on the Remembrancers Retreat. I am uh, hanging out with Robbie, and we're going to say goodnight. But before we do, guys, we'll, we'll do a final uh, shout-out and plug segment here. So go ahead and turn it over to Robbie to say, uh, say whatever. Um, well, I actually just had a thought coming to my mind, uh, you know, thinking about what Jason was just saying. This is crazy. Um, you know how, you know, a machine has to make the perfect machine. It can't be touched by, by man. And then it got me thinking, you know, they think of the emperor as the omnissiah. He is, you know, the machine in flesh. And then think about everything that the emperor crafts, like all the fulgurites and everything of how much power they have. And maybe that's what they're on to is like, cause he is the perfect machine creating 
machine. Wow. How about that? Does that make so, so you think you think that there are factions in the Mechanicum that believe the Emperor is in fact a machine? Oh yeah, absolutely. That he is like like he is the machine god. That's Ooh. you know, and then you know, that's like the testament to, you know, as long as you know man is creating the machine, the machine can't be perfect. And then you look at you know, some of the artifacts that the emperor has made and just the amount of power and like the craftsmanship of, of, of what it is. And maybe that's, that's what they're referring to. It's because he is perfect. What he makes can be perfect. I, I like it. I that's, think something there. That's very like Battlestar Galactica, right? Like the very, like the new Battlestar Galactica. That's very, that's like fucking deep, man. I could yeah. definitely see that in the for like especially in the forty first millennium. Like I could see there being like cults of the Mechanicum that were like, no, the fucking emperor is a machine dude. I mean, I, he's on the golden throne, right? He's Absolutely. fucking plugged in. Absolutely. No, I like it. That's that's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, other than that, last thought. No, I I thanks for letting me uh, listen in on your your uh, your crazy stuff. It's gonna let me go to bed with some some thoughts now and it's always good to you know because i i just picked up a whole bunch of cybernetica to start a list and it's really good timing that i get to hear about it and that's you know, going to help spur on the on the on the juices so i'm i thank Sweet. you for the hobby flow no man thank you and whenever robbie starts a list guys you get pay attention because it's going to be good so we'll definitely look forward to some um some advice from Robbie on starting a Mechanicum Legio Cybernetica list, maybe? Heck yeah. Heck yeah, right. dude. yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Robbie. Um, all right, guys. So uh, wrapping up, I just want to take a, a little bit longer than you to say uh, here on the Remembrancers Retreat, uh, why we don't do like a Patreon. Because people have asked, right? So and why do we wait till the end to do plugs and everything else? So, really, what we what we do is it's 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 a passion, right? We do this because we love it. We would do it anyway. Um, certainly, at Jason and I and 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 Robbie and the guys that come, um, Austin and Stephen, like we we do this because we we love it, and we really um, we wouldn't know how to do a Patreon anyway. Would wouldn't know how to create additional content. Uh, to deliver to people that would want to support us through Patreon or additional or insider only, you know, um, content. I, I mean, we, just, we wouldn't know how to do that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we, we, you know, this is not something that is free. Uh, we pay for SoundCloud and we, um, you know, invest in really quality equipment guys so that we can give you the best uh, quality podcast that you know, we can, and we continually get better, hopefully. So all that costs uh, a little bit of overhead, and that's why we have our store. So if you've noticed on our store, we've added a ton of new products. Um, we've got uh, shirts. We've got sweatshirts. We've got um, coffee mugs, which are super cool. We've got magnets. Um, so we've got a bunch of stuff on our store that you guys can check out. And all of that 
If you support us through our store, all that uh, money goes to paying our overhead, right? So supporting the, uh, the, the cost of SoundCloud, supporting um, the equipment that we have, and um, just continually upgrading our quality of content, guys. So um, if you do decide to give us a, a, you know, a little, a little coin, a little shout out, uh, a little attaboy, uh, we will certainly reciprocate and we'll thank you on air uh, during the next podcast. So if you want to get a little shout out, a little love from uh, the retreat, um, go ahead and, and uh, let us know. And we'll, yeah, we'll thank you. Thank you on air and we'll thank you for supporting and uh, we'll know that you like listening to us because, you know, right now we're just doing it for fun. So uh, if there's oh, anything yeah. you guys, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, and each, each person that donates, you know, to the heresy already becomes 10 times better than all those people donating to the, that Jenner girl to become the first billionaire, like the youngest. <laughs> Remember that. If you don't want to help your podcast, there are people that want to help someone become a billionaire. Be better than those people. Be better than them. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, for all those reasons, be better than those people. Um, but yeah, thanks, guys. And uh, definitely love your comments. Keep them coming. Um, we definitely take them into account. And we will see you next time on the Remembrancers Retreat. Later.